And now on this episode of Miami Miked Up, I am joined by a South Florida native, but we will get to what that actually means for her in terms of these sports fandoms from Levitard Show, from Off the Looking Glass, both at Metal Arc Media, from Golik and Smeddy with DraftKings. We have Jessica Smetana joining me today on Miami Miked Up. Smeddy, it's great to have you here. Jer Bear slash Jeremy, <laughs> uh, for those who don't know your nickname on your own show, what do you mean South Florida native? Because I have lived here for over 18 months now. It makes yeah, that's native. how I'm making you a native now. You oh, live here. okay. Once you're here for, Got once it. you're here, I guess native was the wrong descriptor. Native implies that you actually are from here. But once you, once you live here for a year, I'll give it to you. Is that, is that a fair marker? Is a year a fair like- amount of time to say like you are a South Floridian now? Well, I have like a Florida driver's license, so I guess that that absolutely means something. Yeah, that absolutely means something. Although but you're probably also, not stoked about it. <laughs> when I moved here, people were so it was it was during a wave of of people from New York moving to Florida. So, people were not so nice about it even though <laughs> I was forced to relocate here for right. work. Um, forced is probably too strong a word because it makes it sound like it was against my will, which it wasn't. But um, yeah, I have I have stayed, unlike many who have fled back to New York and New Jersey. I yeah, guess. you were part you were part of that crew a couple of years ago where it was like every single person who lived in New York decided to move to Florida for like yeah. six months, and you actually Honestly, stayed. But that's not even the case because then I'd have more friends down here. But. <laughs> True. I'm the only person I know who moved here <laughs> and stayed, right? And stayed. Well, all right. So, so that being said, uh, lack of friends probably doesn't help this. But what's something outside of work that's recently brought you some joy? Uh, well, I like to bake a lot. That's pretty much how I blow off steam. I bake pies, cookies, mm. cakes, muffins, and I bring it all to work. People eat it, even though most of our coworkers have the palate of toddlers. Um, Bob, our engineer, who is in uh, a I'll say a veteran in the engineering field. I don't want to call him old, but like he's an older guy. (laughs) He likes everything that I bake and that's all that matters to me. Yeah, for what it's worth for anyone uh, listening who cares, uh, tremendous baker. And you're right. The fact that not everybody in the studio is always like jumping for joy over treats being there doesn't make any sense to me. Um, well, they all get eaten anyways. It's just that some of them get insulted <laughs> as they're being eaten. I mean, that just sounds like Levitard Show in general, does pretty it not? Much, yeah, yeah, that's it pretty does. much how it goes. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit of sports because I feel like that's that's my job here, and then we can talk about things that that matter beyond sports. Um, with the NFL Championship Weekend coming up, um, Conference Championship Weekend. You got two matchups here that are really kind of in some ways the polar opposite. You have the Philadelphia Eagles and the San Francisco 49ers, which are two teams that, you know, everyone almost dismisses quarterback play. And you just look at at the teams and the coaches. And then you look across in the AFC and you got Joe Burrow and Pat Mahomes. So which of these matchups intrigues you more? And is it much more complicated than just like, hey, go look at those quarterbacks over in the AFC? That's my answer. Well, yes, because we don't know how healthy Patrick Mahomes is going to be because he has the high ankle sprain. But this is my favorite Sunday of the sports calendar. I think Championship Sunday is more fun than the Super Bowl because huh. not the games aren't always super close. Sometimes you get maybe one big blowout, one close one. But it's I think it's really fun to see the four best teams in the league play against each other on that final uh, NFL Sunday before the Super Bowl. So I'm really excited for it. Um, I think the Bengals 
have they played better against the Bills than anyone expected them to mm-hmm. after the close shave against the Ravens in the <laughs> super wild card round. But I feel like any time I count out the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes uh, and Andy Reid, they prove me wrong, even though, you know, it's their fifth home AFC championship game. It's crazy. Uh, they got beaten in it last year, but um, they are still the Chiefs. They're still Pat- It's still Patrick Mahomes, even on one leg. I think he can still throw, you know, no-look passes off of, mm-hmm. off of one ankle, hopefully, but... Um, I'm really excited to watch it. And then with the Eagles, I mean, it's it's amazing that the San Francisco 49ers have been able to do all of this with their third-string quarterback. With Brock Purdy. And it's also amazing that the Eagles won the Super Bowl five years ago, and they're already have they're knocking on the door of of coming back with an, a different quarterback. And the, like the Philadelphia Eagles fan base, I think three years ago felt like. Holy, like they fired their head coach that won the Super Bowl. They went through a couple quarterbacks and they, I think they felt like, all right, we, we won the Super Bowl, but now we're kind of staring down the barrel of this like long, treacherous rebuild. And now they're already back in the NFC Championship game. So um, it's been a super impressive season for Jalen Hurts and Nick Sirianni. And I'm really excited to see the Eagles offense versus the 49ers defense. I can't wait to see that matchup. And it's like power against power with those two teams. And it's funny when you bring it up, I I was just sort of thinking about it with the Eagles, how, you know, they've gone through this full rebuild cycle and are back. And I believe, and I could be wrong, I think that same year that they beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl was when the Patriots beat the Jaguars with Blake Bortles in the AFC championship game. And that's another franchise that's basically from there gone through this full rebuild and found themselves back in the playoffs with a different quarterback, obviously different levels of, of major success, having the Eagles back in the Super Bowl. And it's just goes to show you how a rebuild can take five years as opposed to the Miami Dolphins rebuild, which has taken like 30 or 25, 30, 40 years, (laughs) my entire lifetime. I mean, yeah, I, I'm a Steelers fan too, and there's they haven't really done a full rebuild, but when you see the 49ers and the Eagles and the Chiefs, like all these teams that have been excellent and they've stayed excellent even when there's been injuries or whatever, um, it's very impressive. And it's it's great to not see Tom Brady in one of these games. I do have to give a shout-out to that. Oh, the best. Um, so, yeah, Jer Bear, I'm really <laughs> excited for championship weekend. I it's It's my favorite my favorite Sunday of the year. It's a good point that you make. We're having, uh, you know, all four teams playing like that. And oftentimes it, it, is is it a hot take to say that the Super Bowl is often a letdown of a football game? Like very rarely Mm. is the game actually great and it takes forever because of the commercials. So it's like a great experience of Super Bowl Sunday. But I think if you're like a pure football fan looking for like, Hey, what can I get the best football in the best way? It's not actually the championship game. It's, it's championship weekend where you have two of them. Yeah, I'm hoping that since the college football national championship was such a letdown this Ooh. year, it means we're going to get a good Super Bowl. I don't know what like the odds on that are. Like, there's no way we have so it's the reverse, bad right? Bad ones, right? Because well, because because their uh, semifinal games were so incredible that that yeah. might mean that this conference championship weekend sucks, but the Super Bowl is good at I the hope very so. least. But you're right. I think the Super Bowl is an awesome event to watch at home with buffalo chicken dip. Yes. Um, and a bunch of people that you can, you know, make fun of the terrible commercials with. Because let's be honest, most of them are pretty bad. Like Most of them are I, bad now. I'm not blown away by pretty much any commercial. Also, I don't know about you. I have a really, um, I think one of my best skills actually is my ability to tune out commercials. <laughs> 
because <laughs> yeah look at your phone or computer of, or yeah like netflix and and hbo and all the streamers where you don't really get commercials so when i see a commercial come on even if i'm watching like another streamer like hulu with ads i completely tune it out i don't listen to it there are people that keep telling me that there's this annoying whopper burger king commercial and i'm like i've never heard it i've never heard it I, I only saw it because I only saw I've it because someone it, posted it on Twitter. It. Yeah, it, there you go. <laughs> um, so Super Bowl commercials, like they've they've gotten down they've gone down in my book. And last year with you know all the crypto commercials and everything, right. I don't know. What do you think the crypto uh, commercial of the twenty twenty three Super Bowl will be? Is there like a fad, a fraudy fad right now that we think there's going to be a bunch of commercials about? I would say yeah, because I mean those FTX commercials last year with Larry David, it should just be Larry David should just buy his own thirty second spot, stare at the camera, and say, "I told you so." I told you so. Yeah. Yeah, the entire time. Um, I'm just excited. I mean, I know realistically this weekend I'm excited to see uh, Jim. Jim Nance and Tony Romo um, back together once again. And, you know, who knows? Maybe some more uh, Joe Burrow TikToks thrown into the mix as well, because oh that gosh. has been the funniest thing ever. I think we've reached critical mass. There's too many now. <laughs> like, if you search Joe Burrow on TikTok, it's, it's scary. There are so many results. It's really scary. You obviously have an immense love for college football. Um, obviously, that's going to come when you get to root for both Notre Dame and Clemson, two programs that have had a lot of success. But I think. People seem to be really concerned about where NIL is for seemingly no reason to me. <laughs> I, I it, it seems like it's just going to make college football a lot more fun. Um, so I'm here to sort of give you the floor on NIL to explain to me and to the audience why college football is like in a better place right now than it was, say, a year ago. Or or is it? Well, I don't know if it's in a I mean, I think it's it's a net positive that there are athletes getting paid now, even though they're not getting paid salaries and they're not getting paid revenue shares from the you know multi-billion dollar television deals. That yeah, and I'd love to dive into that too. Have have signed, but I don't think the on-field product has changed because of NIL, and and to me that would be the thing that would make it in a worse right. place. Um, there's certainly been team chemistry team makeup team whatever that have changed if you look at the usc trojans which is like the example everyone gives getting a really good heisman <laughs> winning uh quarterback to transfer into your school plus you know the bolitnikoff winner and jordan addison and all these other offensive weapons yeah a team can change overnight and and perform better than they did the year before and it certainly helps that they got uh lincoln riley to coach there as well right. who i think is a better coach than clay helton but um, it's not like the product on the field, like the football itself is really being affected by someone doing a Arby's commercial <laughs> right, or, exactly. in their free time. And so that's why I don't think really too much has changed. Um, I don't know. I think that there's so many other things happening. The, so like the transfer portal is, is kind of tangential, but related to NIL yeah. and certainly like a player may sit out or transfer or whatever, miss games. Sure, like you can complain about that, I suppose, but um, I don't think that it necessarily is making for a worse product. Like if you watched any of the bowl, the bowl games, I think bowl season starting from like you know, December 29th uh, through the national championship, not including the national championship game, were some of the funnest games of this college football season, even though there were players opted out. Like I can, fr from the Notre Dame, uh, South Carolina game alone, which I was obviously watching because I went to Notre Dame. Right. 
Um, Notre Dame's two best players sat out, and it was still a really fun game. South Carolina had a whole bunch of opt-outs and portal entries. Notre Dame's quarterback that started most of the season uh, was in the portal, so he didn't play. And it was still a really fun college football game. So I think that it's a little silly to think that it spells the end of uh, college football, especially because people one complaint that I hear is like oh you know you become attached to a player and then they'll just transfer and it's like yeah but it's college football anyways the most they're gonna stay at your school is like maybe three years if they're gonna go in the NFL and then maybe they'll grad transfer and and maybe they won't even play their freshman year so like you get new used to seeing new players all the time anyways that's kind of the the game but (laughs) I don't know Jer Bear what are your thoughts (laughs) no I mean I agree with you completely in terms of you know, I don't feel like I've seen the product change whatsoever. If anything, in some ways it'll lead, at least it seems, to maybe some more um, single season parody where you can end up with schools like USC where right place, right time, right quarterback, right coach, and everything sort of comes together where, you know, you can have teams have these one-off levels of success where the right transfers come in and that happens. But also, isn't that, a, isn't that a good and fun thing? And as the playoff continues to expand in terms of how many teams are there, wouldn't it be a good thing that some random school might end up with the right NIL deal that gets them the right, you know, one or two players, and now all of a sudden they're nationally relevant for a season? So, you know, to me, I, I kind of agree with you and, and, and tend to think that, that, you know, college football is still in, in, in a pretty good space, um, you know, moving forward. And, and obviously, like, it's still just so much fun ultimately at the end of the day like you can almost look at bowl season as its own separate season like if that if that's how you have to do it to be able to say like hey look i'm watching an entertaining product who cares if five guys are missing from notre dame if that notre dame south carolina game is great who cares who's left at this point but that's kind of the the big thing on college football and what's interesting is i I do think you can offer an interesting perspective in terms of these players being paid you know through conferences and through organizations and the way that that should probably work, especially considering, you know, the work that you did at SI, you know, involving unions and the background that you have there. I I think that there is a a bit of a comparison that could be made to where college football players are at the moment and their sort of, I mean, obvious lack of unions and their lack of ability to, to collectively bargain for themselves. Do you think that that's maybe where college football is headed at, at the very least, maybe conference by conference? Well, yes. So so there is actually something interesting happening right now, which is that there's a um, a group called the NCPA, which is the National College Players Association that have filed a claim against uh, the University of Southern California, the Pac-12 and the NCAA, arguing that athletes at the University of Southern Cal are employees of all three of those groups. And so there's going to be um, a slew of of hearings and legal proceedings. And so I think one of the biggest challenges that um, athletes face, and this is something that isn't new, this happened 10 years ago with Northwestern also, um, and the NLRB, I believe, ruled that, you know, Northwestern itself couldn't unionize, but as a larger uh, group the NCAA member institutions could if if they which would be very very difficult and now right. this is kind of revisiting that and and some of the things that were um, the door was left open on with what happened at Northwestern ten years ago so I think it's very difficult for the players to unionize because of how transient college football is but i do think that it's something that i would like to see because it would give them the ability to collectively bargain for all of the changes that the ncaa has been making without any players consent over the last 
100 years um, since the NCAA For was real. founded, whether it's the length of the season, the length of the playoff um, practices, all of the things that we read about, you know, every couple years when the NFL, you know, collective bargaining ag agreement comes up right. and, and we read some of the details of revenue sharing, obviously, is a big one. Um, salaries, uh, those are all the sorts of things that the athletes have no say in. And the NCAA has been specifically, you know, taking away their rights by calling them student athletes first right. and foremost and not employees. Um, but also, you know, making these, these large sweeping decisions about a lot of athletes futures and, and a lot of like very silly things. There's, there's currently a NCAA situation in Ann Arbor with Jim Harbaugh eating, uh, cheeseburgers and, <laughs> Uh, during during a recruiting dead period with recruits. It's very, very silly. So the best. anyways, all of this is to say, yes, I think that will eventually change. I think that the NC or the uh, yeah, the Supreme Court ruling in the Alston versus the NCAA case in 2021, which opened the gate for NIL agreements, also opened a, a uh, for lack of a better term, a, a portal into hey. uh, more opportunities for athletes to earn wages, which is, I think, what a lot, a lot of people want to see. Uh, I also think that there are people who think that, you know, the athletes get a scholarship and that's good enough, et cetera, et cetera. And, and this is about education. And I, I think those voices <laughs> hopefully are being more drowned out now, uh, especially in the media, because the television contracts have blown up exponentially right. since conferences were able to negotiate their own rights agreements, uh, which was after another Supreme Court case in the 80s. But NIL is a great opportunity, at, at least in the short term. I, it's not a replacement for wages or salaries. Correct. But in the short term where um, a player, for example, I'll go back to Notre Dame, Sam Hartman, who maybe yeah. is a sixth round draft pick, um, will probably get NIL money to stay in school for another year and play, uh, you know, in a different style offense at Notre Dame. So there are maybe educational benefits to be had, too, if a player is going to stay in school a year later or a semester longer um, versus leaving for the NFL because they are not making any money and they believe that they're, you know, there's better financial opportunities in the professional league. So, I mean, there's a lot, a yeah, lot a going lot on there, here. but <laughs> all of this is to say, it's like a very insane uh, structure and system that is operational right now. And if it's confusing, I think it's by design because the NCAA has held so much power and they don't want anyone to be able to, to really challenge it. Yeah, I think that's the big thing that that when folks are, are sort of questioning why does it have to change or, you know, why, not even necessarily why are these players getting paid, but but why does the structure have to pay, change as we do it? Why does the transfer portal have to be open? All of these things, it's because what you've grown so accustomed to, what the rules that have been in place have been in place without any sort of collective bargaining, have been in place without thinking about the players, have been in place for all of these years based off an organization where we've just taken it for what it is and said, all right, those are the rules. And so now that some of those things are being challenged, it's it's good for the players. And, and like you said, there's all sorts of different reasons, including some guys who, you know, if we want to talk about school, hey, they're staying in school maybe a little longer because there's, right, there's more career opportunities. A little silly. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. I will also say amateurism in college football has always been a myth. Like, I've right. read stories of college football players in the 1920s and 30s who would play a college game on a Saturday and then take the train to the nearest city where there was a professional team and play and earn a salary. And they didn't have, like, Instagram, so it was harder <laughs> to get caught. Um, but 
players still got caught. And like this has just been the story of the sport for uh, over a hundred years, and it's not it's not changing. Quickly. They may not have been uh, <laughs> so, social media influencers back then, but they were still they they were still getting paid their money. I'll tell you that. Um, I want to talk to you just a little bit about your actual career path because it's it's really interesting to me. Um, and really from the beginning, for you. I imagine just through playing soccer, having a love of sports in general is how you figured out that you wanted to be in sports media ultimately. But you're someone who has told a lot of other people's stories. You were, you know, sort of a capital J journalist at at different points in your career here. So when was it that you figured out that that telling stories was something you wanted to do and that getting into sports media was your ultimate goal? Uh, Well, I always wanted to work in sports media. I pretty much have known since I was like eight years old, I wanted to do something sports adjacent. Um, I didn't really know like what my, what my career, I wanted my career to be yeah. because I really thought that like the only thing I could do was like sideline reporting. Um, luckily there are, <laughs> there are more opportunities than sideline reporting, um, which is, which I'm not knocking sideline reporting, but it's really hard and I'd never want to do it. Um, and I know I'm talking to a great sideline reporter right hey, now. thanks. But like, I could never do that job and I don't want it, especially right. because a lot of it is um, outside if you're doing football and it's very mm. cold sometimes. Um, so that's just not something I <laughs> I like do. that as the reason though, specifically. Like, mm, it's very cold sometimes. Well, I'm so. bad at memorizing lines and it's also cold. So mm, I don't know. I'd rather right. just work from home and, and maybe go into work three times a week, which is what I do now. Right. But anyways, I, I realized in college there were more opportunities like that and there's still more, I think, like coming up by the day with the advent of digital media, which was like not totally a thing yet when I was in high school and now is how most of us have our work seen. I remember remember being in high school and being like not, not a little upset, very upset that I was assigned to our school newspaper's website as opposed to the print (laughs) newspaper because I felt like, oh no, that's a slap in the face having to do online and now my literal job is digital host and reporter. Like that's what my job is. So yeah, just like you said, it's evolved so much. It really has. So after college, I was hired at SB Nation as a associate video producer, and then I became a producer there, and then I went to Sports Illustrated, which is funny because it's a magazine, but I worked for their digital video department. <laughs> um, and I also got to write for the magazine, which is right. cool. I, I guess like even in like 2020, I was like, oh, it's cool to see your name in print, I guess. I mean, you could it just print out cool an article that you write on the internet, but it is cool. It's The glossy paper makes it different <laughs> ironically <laughs> joe burrow was on the cover of the sports illustrated magazine that my uh feature story was let's all come full circle was printed in yeah uh, it was when he was you know leading the national championship team smoking a uh, cigar at lsu in 2019 but uh joe burrow shout out to him so anyways yeah my my career has changed a lot because i went more mostly from behind the scenes um, from like a production standpoint and now do more on-air stuff with the Levitard show and host podcasts. But I have to say, I really like podcasts. Um, Podcasts were like starting to become a thing when I was in college. So I didn't know like how big they would become and how many jobs there'd be in in audio. But um, like, I remember Jarabar, you were probably, you're like around the same age as me, like the Serial podcast. Yeah, that was the one. 2013 or 14. Uh That was the first podcast I ever listened to. And I remember listening to it in college and being like, wow, this is so cool. Like, it's just, uh, it's just like- On demand audio. Yeah. (laughs) It makes us sound so old. 
Right. And now we're on a podcast that is like 50 times dumber than that. Um, but yep. it makes people laugh. So yeah, I think that's well, not this one. Sorry. I meant the Levitard show. No, this your, one's your also dumb and smart. hopefully makes people laugh. Um, no, I mean, I, I, I kind <laughs> of, well, I would hope there's some laughs going on. Cause if there's not, then it's, I don't know what it is, but the, the, the reality of it is that for you, like there was that transition right from behind the scenes to on air. So was that sort of an active choice of, hey, I've seen all these different things I can do behind the scenes and now I want this type of role? Or did on-air opportunities just start to come up and you got to realize like, oh, this is actually something I also love to do? Because as you just mentioned before, right, I didn't think I wanted to be a sideline reporter, to be perfectly honest with you. And after the first opportunity that I had to do it, I was like, oh, this is something that I really like. This is something I would like to pursue. So, so much of this business now with all these different roles can be that as well. Well, maybe I shouldn't knock it until I try it then. I'm, I'm going to steal we'll your you job. I'm going to become yeah. a Miami Heat Thailand reporter. <laughs> Please don't even threaten it because you will. Like you, you <laughs> no, think I like, won't. oh, ha, ha, ha. no. And then the next game that I'm supposed to work, all of a sudden Jess is on the sideline. They would never hire someone who actively hates their team uh, <laughs> on social media and makes fun of children um, yeah, at their games. to be their sideline reporter. But Fair enough. I don't know. I mean, it happened pretty naturally, honestly. I'm not really sure if I ever made a conscious decision like this yeah. is what I want to do, but I've kind of fallen into to a lot of different roles just by doing volunteering to do as much as I can you know at all the different places I've worked at and and like I was lucky that you know the job that I had in college I worked uh at the Notre for the Notre Dame athletic department's like video mm. uh depart video athletics department yes. um it was it was like a real job where I actually made real things that people saw and and mattered which was really cool and I got paid a, a wage which was also great a um, wage? but I got no. to yeah it wasn't like a in college here's college credit I love job. I love like that <laughs> I love that while you were at Notre Dame getting paid to make content about the sports teams none of the athletes were getting paid Right. And no, that's like the that other says thing. all of it. Right? That exactly. Right. And there's so many people that make money off of the college athletics ecosystem, yeah. including like, you know, all the coaches, obviously, right. who a lot of them sign $10 million a year contracts, but also the television networks, the uh, podcasters, like the bloggers, sometimes not all of them get paid, which is also a problem, but Correct. <laughs> there's a lot of, of people that are part of the ecosystem that make money off of people that don't get to, you know, have a say in how much money they make because it's also zero. <laughs> right. Well, well, so you've worked now for a few different publications with a few different sort of tones right like the you've had to kind of wear a few different hats where it's like okay let me be very serious about you know this thing that I'm writing about or let me give some serious analysis as we've done off the top here to an extent but then there's also like the silly side you know when you're dealing with a show like Levitard show or Golik and Smeddy or even off the looking glass at moments so when when you're trying to find that balance between those two things and you're working as a younger voice in sports media and as a woman in sports media i imagine all of those different hats and and trying to kind of find that balance can be difficult so is there an active effort when you're trying to split up like okay let me be silly here let me stand up for the right thing here are are those things in your head or is it just sort of like hey whatever topics are coming up we're naturally going into it Honestly, I don't even I don't even know. I think I it's just com I feel more comfortable trying to be funny or yeah. lighthearted than serious. Like even when I was at Sports Illustrated, which fancies itself a very serious sports publication, like the stuff I was making was all like a little cheeky. Like I wrote about 
um, a, a absurd ultra marathon um, and and like stuff like that. Like it's just I don't know. I, I we talked about this on the Levitard show last week. It's hard being earnest when you grow up on the internet. Yep. <laughs> yeah, we talked about. Well, no, yeah, we talked about this on Mystery Crate, where it's like for our age, and this is actually this is kind of where I wanted to take it, which is we're in that weird in between where we're like at the end of being a millennial, the beginning mm-hmm. of of Gen Z, where it's like we're. I mean, I consider myself a millennial uh based off the age but it's like right there on that borderline and it is this element of like being earnest can be seen as a bit of a bad thing growing up in internet culture the way that we have and so it is this really interesting dynamic of like how do you continue to grow in a career where in certain parts of it people are expecting that earnest behavior and in other areas you you know it's changing the voice into more of a youthful exuberance of like no this is the way that we talk about things you know whether that's on a broadcast whether that's on a podcast anywhere and so like it is it is interesting being that sort of voice within a show like levitard show too where you very much do sort of bring the topics down in terms of the average age i mean i'm pretty sure ethel merman was uttered like four different times on the show today so um yeah i mean there and there is a bit of that that like we play into right like i i I don't want to peel back the curtain too much but sure yeah like you you exaggerate like how out of touch you think greg cody is for the lols even though greg cody's saying stuff that like you know my parents say and i don't it's not like the worst thing in the world but it's funnier to make fun of him um but yeah i don't know i think i think just trusting your gut on all of it it, if it sounds really awkward to say something like maybe just like don't say it i don't know but you're right because there is like this lol cringe culture where it's like the worst thing that like you could tell a millennial is that they're like cringe yeah Um, (laughs) right right well and it's like it's like oh my god and then even like gen z takes that that, of an insult (laughs) but then gen z takes that to like a whole other element where it's like they had chuggy and then like three weeks into chuggy being a thing that was that was chuggy and me even bringing Mm, up the word chuggy he feels chuggy. Now That's I heard cringy. just recently um, a new a new Gen Z term. God, I saw what is that? Thousand years old. Have you heard of Riz? Oh yeah, that's Riz. from like That's two old. months ago. Am I old? Yeah. That's not Fuck. recent. I'm, I'm bleeping sorry. this out. I'm so upset. <laughs> no, this is new for me. <laughs> no. Oh no. Oh, dear this bear. is horrible. Now I'm literally I'm sweating. I'm sweating. This is But that's horrible. what I, I that's what I mean. I'm like when I see fast. when I see Gen Z terms, like sometimes I'll bring <sighs> it up on the Levitard show because like no one else has heard of it. Right. But like in my real life, I'm like, yeah, I'm not I don't say like I know I, would I know never... my age. Exactly. <laughs> I know how stupid I sound if I try to act like I'm 17 years old. Yeah, exactly. I could say it on the internet. I can change all of a sudden a few years ago. We all decided to start typing only in lowercase letters because we all decided on the internet that that was the way to do it. You know, it's things like that. I can do it on the internet, but not actually in my real life. In real life, actually am a little too earnest and then that becomes the problem you are very you are very earnest yeah earnest i know like you're the type of person that i feel like if i text you and i'm like how are you you'll give me like an honest answer which isn't a bad thing like it's very nice but i'm the type of person to be like lol good what's up yeah that's that's what you're getting the next time which is like i could be like crying my eyes out (laughs) honestly though but i'm a millennial i haven't cried in like 12 years so Yeah, no, again, that's the difference between us and Gen Z. Gen Z's out here just being They're like, nope, emotional. we're crying over everything. Yeah. It's fine. Uh, all right, so so a couple more things before I, I let you run. Um, 
First, I want to talk musicals with you. Um, yeah, I had a whole bunch it. of different topics, and I originally was going to do sort of like a top five or, or something like that with you. But I know um, on the Greg Cody show, you you listed your top five musicals. So I really just more than anything, this is something we've bonded over is is loving musicals. And I want to know for you, like what makes a musical a great musical for Jessica Smetana? What are the things you're looking for? I think it has to be funny. I think okay. musical musical um, humor tends to skew funny. Like yeah. I think people that say they hate musicals don't realize that a lot of them have like a, a lot of humor in them, even the serious mm-hmm. ones. But I think the best musicals have a little bit of funny and a little bit of weird. Like there has to be something a little weird and off for it to really work for me. So this goes back to the earnest thing. This goes back yeah. to that where it's like if the musical isn't willing to step into kind of a strange place in the middle of the yeah. second act, then I don't want it. Well, think about like the some of the most famous musicals from Andrew Lloyd Webber, right? They're right. extremely weird. Like Starlight Express, Cats, Phantom. They're all very strange. As weird as all of them are fever dreams. We don't really talk I, I just, Jesus Christ Superstar is really weird. Like there's <laughs> a lot of ever. weirdness and I think the best I mean the uh, the problem with some of those is that like some of them aren't that funny. But so like one of my favorite musicals is Sweeney Todd, which I think has the perfect amount of humor and really like dark kind of creepy weirdness and that that meshing to me is is the perfect uh I don't know, perfect recipe, like Mrs. Lovett's meat pies. Yeah, yeah. Well, when you look at when you look at like some of the, the newer musicals that are out there right now, it's difficult to find some of that weirdness. But there is there is that humor. There is humor within. Right. A lot there's of nothing it. weird about Hamilton. No, right? nothing at all. Which I think knocks it down in my book. I think there's some really catchy For songs. Right. For me. I just yeah. I'm just talking about my own personal taste. I'm just like, trying I'm to not keep the Hamilton people. A Hamilton hater. Him. I'm not yeah. a Lynn Manuel Miranda hater. I think he's kind of a cornball but there's not any like if Hamilton turned into a corn on the cob in act three sure I'd be like okay like, all right or, or if Hamilton was Muppets I don't know like that's a good there's gotta be right. like a weird well that's like there. Avenue Q something like right, that where, exactly, where it's like okay funny. we're gonna well yeah and that one's which is out dirty of Muppets yeah. yeah dirty Muppets and that's and that's a good place to start a musical it's like all right what do we know about this musical just, off the yeah. bat Dirty Muppets. Dirty All right, Muppets. I'm in. Disgusting, that, filthy Muppets. Uh-huh. As long as you can... If you can get... I think what I've realized is that in order to get me to really want to watch your musical, you need to be able to, in one sentence, hook me with mm. what it's about. You need to be... Yeah. All right, it's about a bunch of dirty Muppets. All right, I'm well, in. Well, how does Hamilton... Hook That's what I'm saying. Hamilton, I'm not sure that it it's, does. It's wrapping the Revolutionary War. And that's... That's before the, we knew, but see, before maybe, we knew of it, it's the internet. Too in, it, it's no, internet not, it. it's too earnest. The it's too earnest in it. 2023. This is Lynn's. This is this is why you feel the way you feel about Lynn is because 100%. Lynn is the most earnest, so earnest person, yeah, which is why I just called him existed. corny because yeah. he's so nice, right? Because he's just a nice man writing musicals, and we hate him for it on the internet. Uh, and before I let you go, Jess, well, and for what it's worth, I just want you to know the other random topics that I had on here, if we had had enough time to tackle them, were TikTok, Great British Baking Show, Twilight, <laughs> pop punk music, oh, and Twilight. Aubrey Plaza. If you want to give me any sort of just let's bursts write a, on that first. Jer Barrett, let's write a Twilight musical. Actually, I'm, I'm going to tell you something. One that exists. I'm going to tell you something that is, uh, I can't, I can't believe I'm letting this on the podcast, but so... 
um, my fiance and I have like this this book that has like all these fun creative dates in it, like date ideas. And, oh, okay. and so you I was like, like, what's a like, creative date? Like yeah. January 14th, <laughs> June 23rd. It's like the uh, miscongeniality. Like yeah. the perfect date is yeah. April 25th. It's Sorry, perfect. Go ahead. No, no, Continue. no. You're, you're good. So it has all of these, these like random creative, whatever. And so, um, one of them was like, write a song. And so we took out my keyboard one evening and, uh, wrote a song that was, that we decided because it was like it gave you all these clarifications and it was a musical about a young vampire who nobody knew was a vampire going to her high school prom I'll send you you and you alone. This will this not go on the like internet. This is like the vampire. I will send you from forgetting Sarah yes, Marshall. Yes, it, it is just like that. It's <laughs> Which, by up, the way, just like they that. should have made into a real musical. Because maybe that's that what we do. Maybe maybe that's what we do. Song ever from any of those movies. My, Mike Sure and Adam McKay are closely enough related to what's going on over at Metal Ark. Then maybe we just pitch them. Hey, what if we found a way to get the rights to this thing and just expand it upon that musical? So, but we need to make it weird because i think twilight is super earnest and very <laughs> but that, cringe but also that's and also very weird. problematic so how do we make the character like what can we do to make it like less problematic a little weirder and get away from some of the the bad territory there i think that um the biggest thing that we'll need to do is change everything about the jacob <laughs> character everything well, about Oh, don't get me the, started. And they go from there. Were you? T- uh, I mean, team we have Edward to change everything Jacob? about the Edward character too. Right. We have to change to be everything honest, about all of them, and we have to, to change everything honest, about Bella. I mean, Bella's terrible too. I, I just Charlie, all right. So basically, we don't want to. We don't want to do this. Is essentially no, but we do. We need. We need to make it. We need to just tweak it a little bit. Yeah. Um, was I Team Edward or Team Jacob? That's a really good question. I think I changed between the two because neither character was consistent enough to um, have my allegiance because every time like one character would do something good, the other one would like do something bad and then vice versa um, because I don't think they were well-written characters at all. So yeah, they weren't. It's, I, I went back and forth until I finally decided... Um, hey, this book sucks and I'm not going to read the last <laughs> well, one what's, and what, I hate it. What's funny for me is that I, so I never read the books uh, and I only literally in the last couple of years saw the movies despite knowing every single reference to everything because everyone I hung the out movies. with, we all, Honestly, you know, watch no, the musicals, movies might be listen better to pop than the musical books, though. thing. The mu- that's what's great about them is the movies. I'm only thinking of just Robert Pattinson <laughs> bad, being with, they're so bad. That's why they're great. They're so <laughs> they're bad. They're so bad, they're but they're so better than bad. the books. They're so much better because they're bad. That's why, see, they make it weird. The The movies make it weird. All right, and then last thing I promise before I let you go, because I know you got to run. Um, You, as you already mentioned, kind of hate Miami sports and I want that yeah. to change. Um, my, my biggest pitch to get you to love Miami sports is that right now, um, with the Miami heat, you have a former Notre Dame point guard in Chris Quinn, who was an assistant coach over there. Right. Notre Dame, uh, with the dolphins, you got Liam. I interested in taking Mike Bray's job. Well, hopefully not because he's a really good assistant (laughs) coach here. We don't want that. Um, I'm not even, I might, I might have to bleep that out so that he doesn't get any ideas. Uh, Liam Eikenberg, uh, who's a guard with, you know, the Dolphins. He, hey, former Notre Dame guard. Sean Gunther, pitcher who pitched at Notre Dame, made his MLB debut with the Marlins a year ago. So, hey, all sorts of Notre Dame connections. I will say Durham Smythe, also from the Dolphins in my class at Notre Dame. See? See? All right. So we've got all these Notre Dame connections. Nice Um, guy. 
but I want to understand uh, what's what you hate about these teams ultimately. And I was going to go team by team. The f- <laughs> <laughs> so everybody listening to this podcast, I'm just, if they're listening to you, Gerber, they're probably good people. That's a really, really nice way of covering it up. But I can understand. I can understand. Let me just say on behalf of Miami sports fandom, um, there is this really weird, and I think that this is what it is, and I'm going to try to see if this can convince you. I think that in the same way that there is this, like, New Jersey to New York, like, everybody in Jersey is pining mm-hmm. after being, like, the big New York thing. I think there is this thing with Miami sports fandom where at different times throughout history, there's been these pockets where Miami has been considered, like, massive market like New York, L.A., mm-hmm. or these other, you know, huge teams and huge franchises And so because there's been the taste of it, there's this like, wait, why don't we have it right now? When Mm -hmm. LeBron's not here, people don't treat the heat the same way. When, you know, it was Dan Marino with the Dolphins, they were a big deal. It's been 30 years there. So I think that that's part of what it is. And I think that there's this lovable underdog mentality that could be there for you if you were just willing to embrace it. I don't know how lovable the underdog mentality is, (laughs) though. That's the problem. It's kind of fair. I'm not going to lie to you. I... I can't say that if I didn't grow up in it, I would be, uh, uh, no, I would say it. I'd be a huge fan because I can't say otherwise, but I love all of these people and they're the best and everybody listening is amazing. I think if it weren't for the 2003 Miami Marlins team that beat my Chicago Cubs uh, in one of the most infamous games in Chicago Cubs history, that would be the team you could convince me to like. I'm going to get you there. It's been 20 years. It's been 20 years. They're not the best team in South Florida. Um, I do think they're the most likable, but they're part of the worst memory of my childhood. So that is a really tough scale. It's going to be balance. really difficult to overcome. Yeah. All but right, good so luck. I'll give we'll, you some time. Maybe I'll come back on the show. I just invited we'll myself back. Uh, maybe you can point out some more bullet points for the other teams, but good luck. That's what we're going to do. I'll, next time you come back, I'll have a more prepared list of the reasons why you should love Miami sports. But before Jessica Smetana goes, just know that you can follow her on Twitter at Jessica under sm- underscore Smetana, not under under Smetana, Smetana. <laughs> underscore Smetana. Uh, you could follow her on Instagram. I don't believe there is an underscore there. No underscore. And you can also listen on TikTok. to. Yeah. Follow Jess. On, what's your TikTok for everybody? Jessica underscore Smetana. Well, there you go. All right. So underscore everywhere. <laughs> but Instagram. Um, Lots of Joe of Burrow course, on, my, on my page right now. <laughs> That's that. That's just about everybody's page on TikTok at the moment. Uh, and of course, listen to the Dan Lebetard show with Stu Gatz, Off the Looking Glass, and Golik and Smetty wherever you get podcasts. Jessica Smetana, thank you so much for joining me on Miami Mic'd Up and looking forward to having you back sometime soon. Thanks for having me, Jer Bear. Thank you for listening to Bally Sports Florida's Miami Mic'd Up with me, Jeremy Taché. And a special thank you to our national sponsor in Southeast Toyota, Visit your local Toyota dealers or toyota.com today and take advantage of the amazing deals on their full line of vehicles. No matter your destination, Toyota goes with you. Toyota, let's go places.